Hey guys, <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you for having me. This is a beautiful room. Um, I'm very excited to be here, and, and very honestly, I do want to get into Q&A pretty quickly, and I don't want to bo- bo- really bore you with my life story or things of that nature, but here's where, where I will go. In doing some of my homework before I got here and some of the talking that we did beforehand, I, what, what I really feel excitement about is even more so than in the U.S. market where I've been able to what I call day trade attention, which is very simply, no matter what you do in this room, you've got to communicate your value, right? No matter what you do in this room, whether you're in B2B, whether you're in B2C, uh, whatever you sell, whatever you do, if you're running for office, if you're trying to raise money for a nonprofit, if you're trying to sell sneakers, if you're a lawyer, uh, if you're trying to raise your profile to get a promotion or get a different job, regardless of what you do, what your real job at the macro is, is to find where people's attention is and then figure out how to communicate your value prop. When I see a market like this that has decided, and this is holistically, this is not every individual person, but has decided things like television or outdoor media or even more specifically direct mail become the preference points in a world where Facebook has such underpriced attention potential, it just gets me very excited. The reason we opened a VaynerMedia London office is when we carefully looked at the cost of Facebook ads in Western Europe, they were stunning to us on how much better of a deal it was than the US penetration. And what's interesting about that, and some of you that follow me know this, and usually when I talk, I talk in US marketing terms, we believe that Facebook is disproportionately the best deal in the marketplace today in that market, so as you can imagine, it created enormous excitement for me um, about the potential in markets like Belgium, UK, and other places of that nature. So for me, very simply, this speech is this speech is one minute of content, which is everything I've done for 20 years has been the same exact move. What does everybody spend their time and money and energy on? Is that worth it? And then what can I do that is emerging that is underpriced because people don't have reports to justify it at corporate America, or on the entrepreneurial level, they're scared to do it because they're fake entrepreneurs, right? So for me, that has been the tried and true real history of my career. It started all the way back when I got involved in my dad's liquor store. It is, you know, it is literally only 20 years ago, now 20, almost 21 years ago, which is not that long of a time if you really think about it, that when we launched winelibrary.com, everybody told me and my dad that it was a fad. That forget about is Snapchat a fad? Forget about if you know Instagram is a fad. The entire internet was a fad if you were really a business person in 1995, 1996, 1997. It's fascinating to think that. It's the same way that many of you in here probably don't realize if you're not studying the space that we're probably only 20 or 30 years away from virtual reality making the internet obsolete and all of us just living in contact lenses and in a VR world and the real world and the internet world become arbitraged out because what will happen is our attention will now be in a new virtual reality. So for me, this is how my brain works. To me, I'm not a digitalist over a traditionalist. For example, in the American market, one of the things I'm really pushing our clients towards is actually radio. There's a platform called iHeartRadio that I believe that the ads on that platform are underpriced for the attention because people listen to that programming and when the disc jockey jumps in and reads a live ad, I actually think that's a good deal. That confuses a lot of my friends that think I'm a digitalist. In America, if you were to launch a product and you had $20 million to launch it, the first thing I would do is buy a Super Bowl ad because in America, every single person watches the Super Bowl commercials. And so, this is how I trade, this is how I think, and the, and, the, and the truth is, much like what's happening with your agency, I've always thought it was a huge advantage to not be in America, not to be in Silicon Valley. In a world where so much of what we do is just human, not American or European or Asian, it's just human psychology, not everything maps, Obviously, Americans are more comfortable being outspoken in front. Some countries are more reserved. Some countries have political instability that makes them scared to share. There's different variables across the world. But when I look at this market, 
it's interesting to me and exciting because the truth is you actually get to watch the future play out in a different market and then all you have to do is interpret it to your market and then all you have to do is be patient. See, the real reality here is the far majority of upside sits in this room with the individuals here that map similar to my overall thesis which is they're patient and they're waiting for it to come to them but they're good enough in staying alive to get there. The backbone of my success that I don't talk a lot about is the fact that I'm so good at sales that I can scrounge by. And that's what VaynerMedia was. In 2009, 10, 11, when nobody wanted to buy social media, I was good enough to just get by, stay alive, stay alive, stay alive. But I was the loudest and proudest about believing in this. I had to be right. Because again, in 2009, 10, 11, most people thought these sites would go away. This was coming on the back of MySpace. Make sure you pick that up. This was on the back of MySpace in the US market and people were still debating if, you know, if every site would have a one or two year thing. Everybody was very emotional about investing in new platforms. I had to stay alive. I was able to stay alive and then the market came to me. Patience is such a big deal. The thing that concerns me and that I'm curious about in this room is of the 300 plus people in here, how many people actually sell something they fully believe in in their heart versus they sell it because it's what they're doing or it's what they've committed to and it's where their money is tied into. To me, this is a very important, a very important part of being in the agency, brand, startup world. If you do not fundamentally believe in what you're selling, and I mean really, not how you posture to each other, but how do you talk to yourself in your own brain at night. If you do not, you're vulnerable. You're very vulnerable for many different reasons, but my belief is now looking at the global advertising market, it's amazing to me, when I go to Cannes every year, I'll sit on a panel like this, usually with somebody from WPP and somebody from Omnicom and and a big brand, and usually it's a gang up session, three against me, um, which, is usually a blowout because I can slaughter the three of them. It's not enough. But they bash me, tried and true reporting, bullshit reporting, Nielsen's, Millard Brown, horseshit, fake math. And, and then we'll end. And then we'll leave. And then at three o'clock in the morning, after 11 glasses of rosé, they'll see me at the Carlton Hotel, they'll come up to me and they'll say, Psst, you're right. I find this to be the single most fascinating thing about the advertising and marketing landscape. In a world where Facebook is disproportionately the best direct to consumer advertising, the fact that Wine Library, my family business, has moved all of its direct mail business into Facebook, the math isn't even close. There's people in here doing direct mail marketing who've made a decision that that works without spending the same amount of money on Facebook to see if that works. We are living in a headline reading society. Everybody has opinions. Everybody has opinions about everything, but they're not actual practitioners. You can't have an opinion on Snapchat or Snapchat ads if you've never used it. You can't have a smart opinion to me if you've run run $1,000 in Facebook ads and have made your entire decision on the plethora of opportunities on the platform on $1,000. Clients tell me all the time, Gary, we know television commercials work, we don't know if Facebook works. I go, no shit, you spend $8 million on a television commercial campaign in production and distribution and you spent $100,000 testing Facebook. Of course it's not gonna work. And so we live in this environment where people go and play safe. You make decisions. So many of you in here make decisions on what's best for your career in the short term, not what actually sells shit. And to me, that's where all the opportunity sits. That's where the action is. That's the white space. That's why in America, in the fashion industry, every brand is in trouble because there are thousands of little brands doing Facebook and Instagram influencers and they're chopping away at the big brands. Ralph Lauren's biggest problem isn't Prada. It's 41 women and men startups that are doing from zero to three million in revenue in one year because they're marketing in underpriced channels while Ralph Lauren and Prada are buying full page ads in fucking Vogue that nobody's seeing. This is happening. This is happening every day and here's the funniest part. I know that everybody in this room knows it's happening. 
I just don't know if it actually is in your best interest for it to be happening in the short term. That to me is the bet. That to me is the strategy. That is the only thing I care about pushing in this room. It's why I want to go to Q&A sooner. I'd rather go into details because the thesis is very simple. I can say this again five more times and get to the Q&A part, but it will not change. It will be the same thing. I will give you four different analogies for the same fucking thing. Attention has a price. Everything still works. The problem is most things are overpriced. For example, in America and the globe, programmatic buying for digital has completely taken over. Why? It's profitable for media agencies. But it's not good for brands and businesses. Who the hell here goes to a desktop computer and goes to blah, 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 dot com and goes to the right side of the website below the fold and clicks a banner ad? Nobody. So in a world where I put enormous pressure on my clients to move money away from television because nobody, nobody in the US market and nobody in the global market, if you look at the math, is really consuming a television commercial. Every single time you're in a position where a television commercial is about to give you something, you grab this and you check your work you say, you talk about what you just watched because you're watching. I love when my, when my competitors on stage say, Gary, television ratings are through the roof. I'm like, yes, television shows. Everybody likes to sneak in commercials with shows. You're watching the show. You're watching the match. You're not watching the piece of shit commercial. And so in a world where I'm trying to move all my clients away from that, when they come to me and say, hey, Gary, great news, we're going digital, I get scared because I'm even more scared of banner ads and pop-up ads than I am of television commercials. So when people go digital, I get scared because I think they're going digital 2002 to 2005. In 2002, when I was buying the word wine and buying the word champagne and buying the word Bordeaux for five cents a click, that was good. And now, some of those words are properly priced. At $4.12 for Wine Library, champagne is good. At $11, the word wine, it is not good every single day. If I came here seven months ago, I would have told you that I was concerned about Instagram globally, especially in the US market, because Snapchat was getting older, Facebook's younger than people think, and I was questioning where would Instagram play? Instagram, as a lot of you know, copied every single feature that Snapchat had, grew, exploded, and now Instagram, seven months later, is my number one platform that I'm paying attention to and marketing on. This is day trading attention. This is not making a commitment to, in 2017, it's all about Snapchat and then just sticking to it no matter what happens. No, 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 this is, on February 19th, this is the best trade. On March 16th, this is the best trade. My friends, here's the part that really scares me, which is as the world continues to change very quickly, the truth and the rules always stay the same. For example, for all the math that we now have, The creative is the variable of success. The video, the picture, the words, the sounds, the creative is the variable of success. When people hear me talk, it's interesting because I I talk about creative in a lot of interesting ways. Number one, I think creative is 100% subjective. I understand why if you're the creative director of an organization, you don't want that necessarily to be true. You've worked hard for 20 years to build a reputation so that you can walk in and say, that's not funny enough, that's not green enough, that wasn't snarky enough, I get it. The problem is the market doesn't give a fuck about you, Han. So so creative is subjective until it comes out to the market and then the market decides if it was funny, snarky, or green enough. But creative is the variable. At Vayner, we are very much obsessed with attention and the platform and the context. How do you storytell on Facebook different than Pinterest, different than a pre-roll on Google, different than an original piece of content, different than a native ad on BuzzFeed, different, 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 different. It's context along with content. However, there is no misconception that the creative itself is the variable of success. And so the thing that excites me though is that we live in a world, so for Vayner right now, we're obsessed with one thing, obsessed. You give me a brief, you want to do something. You want to sell this, right? You want to sell this. The first two things I think about is number one, how do I make one to seven, depending on your budget, one to seven different videos 
that are a minute and 19 seconds long that are gonna hit the emotional center of the individual. But not one, not one 30 second spot, because I promise you, if you're 44 years old and make $400,000 a year and you're a male, this brand means something different to you than if you're 18 years old and a female and making $27,000 a year. And how in the world would I talk to both of you the same way to make you buy this? That's insanity. It wasn't insanity when we lived in a television first world, it was your only option. Life's about options. I'm not mad at people that made TV spots and billboards and direct mail in 1984. That was the game. I'm mad at everybody in this room that are acting like it's 1984 when it's 2017. That's the problem. So I have to make seven videos and they don't have to be 15 and 30s and 60 seconds. We did that because that's how television sold them. The fuck are you making 30 second videos for Facebook for? It makes no sense. And then meanwhile, everybody says, we've got to make them short because they read a headline that attention spans are short on Facebook. Meanwhile, as a practitioner, DRock and I are putting out 25-minute videos on Facebook every day and I'm watching everybody watch the whole fucking thing. Content is content. If it's good, it works. If it's bad, it's bad. You can make a six-second vine that people won't watch three seconds because it sucks shit. And you can make a four-hour movie, and if it's the best four-hour movie ever, everybody will sit nice and calm in a theater like this and watch every second. And so these are the things that I think about. The other thing, and this is a huge opportunity in this market, because this is one thing I did do last night, because I had to stay up to four o'clock in the morning to do something on the West Coast in the US, and this is something I dug into a little bit here. I implore you, you too, I implore you guys to start looking at influencer marketing very serious. Influencer marketing is grossly underpriced, more so than anything I've seen except for Facebook three years ago and Google 10 years ago. Individuals, humans that have followings, especially in the way, you know, I asked you a question about Instagram. I looked at it last night. It's emerging much quicker and quieter here than I think people realize. Instagram influencers that can bring value to your brand and story at extremely low costs, including just giving them the product. They're just happy to get it for free. And they'll give you media in return that's incredible. The two places, if you're trying to sell something that are grossly underpriced in this market are Facebook ads in video form and influencer marketing. Is it at the scale of the US? Absolutely not. Is that really interesting to me? Of course, because the price is much lower here too. And when you look at the gross overinvestment on direct mail in this environment, that arbitrage is extremely attractive. What I don't understand is why in a world where people are spending hundreds of thousands of euros in a direct mail campaign, why that can't be 75,000 and they take 25,000 to at least become educated if what I'm talking about is real or bullshit. Like to me, I don't care if I'm right or wrong, I'm just blown away that you're willing to not find out. We just sit with our thoughts and theories of what's tried and true. Let me tell you something. What got you here today is not gonna get you to the next place. And we sit in theory, and we sit in romance, and we sit in how, you know, do you know how many people in this room make business decisions on how they wish the world was working? They're sad that when they go out to a restaurant or a cafe, they see people sitting there and both looking at the phone. They're upset about that. They've made a romantic decision on how the world should be. I see that and I'm happy because I realize those people want to be doing that. I'm thrilled that this woman in the third row is looking at her phone. I'm happy for you because that's what she wants to be doing right now. I'm not upset because I'm talking. I don't give a fuck about my feelings. That's what she wants to do. That right there is the punchline. The market is always right, not your fucking ego. And I've got nothing but ego. But when it comes to the market, I only have humility. The market is always right. And we sit in ivory towers thinking we're super fucking smart and we disrespect the market every day and that's why we lose. In last year's fiscal year, 96% of the Fortune 500 companies in the world lost market share. They lost market share because they're marketing like it's 2005, they're marketing like it's 1997, they're marketing like it's 1984. That's why they lost market share. And I know this because there's only one other time that we have seen this big of businesses lose this much global market share. It was the late 40s and early 50s 
when the world transitioned from radio to television. My friends, we are transitioning from television to this. It's already happened. I've been here for a long time. I implore you to join me. Thank you. Can we put the lights on for Q&A? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, now that's good. I should have done that earlier. I was just focusing on these 18 people. <laughs> Sorry back there. Um, yeah, so I'd love to do q and I mean, that's the philosophy, and honestly, I know a lot of people here may follow, I went very marketing heavy because I tried to kind of gauge the room, but if people want to talk about startup world, you know, something that a lot of you who don't know me may not know, back in 2007, eight, I invested in Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and have had a very good career, Uber, things of that nature in that world. I, uh, if you want to talk about building a business, I've run two businesses in my life. Both of them I grew from one from zero to 100 million in seven years, one from three to 60 million in seven years. So I think I know what it takes, one from three to 150 employees, one from zero to 800 employees. So if you want to talk about management or building organizations, HR, I can, we can go there. Um, <laughs> you like that one? Good, awesome. So wherever you want to go. Who's got questions? Great, let's get you a mic. Thanks for breaking the ice, my friend. What's your name? Make sure you give me your name. My name is Hans. Hans. <laughs> <laughs> so, I really loved your uh, talk with uh, Adriana Huffington. Yes. About the value of uh, sleep. Yes. Because that's an item that is not a lot um, getting noticed in yes. your uh, posts. In, in, for me. Yeah. Correct. I agree. Uh, that's why I had her on because I wanted to clear it up once and for all. Exactly. Uh, no, I'm, a, I'm okay. a big fan of uh, silence for me as a way to recharge my batteries and center and focus on yes. what I want to do and why. Yes. Now, I would like to, uh, to hear what's your take on the value of silence and is there... Silence? A, silence. Is there a place for it in your 24-7, 365 no. life? No. <laughs> but that's good. This is important for everybody. It's amazing that you're self-aware and you know your hardwiring that silence is important to you. Yep. The thing that I fear as I grow in popularity is that people try to emulate me. And the reason I continue to put out, now I want to talk about what I think is the way I do it so people can use me as a blueprint for themselves, but the reason every two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, I'll say something that throws them off is I want to remind them that I'm just one human being and this is what works for me. I'm the reverse. Something that, you know, I'm sure D-Rock's laughing right now. There's times when we walk into the office and it's quiet because everybody's on headphones and trying to be respectful and it freaks me out. I need volume. Like, I need, I need the light to see your faces. I need the stimulation. I suffocate in silence. Of course, when I'm exhausted, these guys picked me up last night, we flew from New York to Ireland, one hour nap, all day Ireland, flight, they picked me up, I had to get mentally ready, I wanted to catch up with him, but I was kind of like, I needed a little bit of silence, sometimes I need it, um, but 99% of the time, when I'm awake, I need action. You know, and, and, okay. and so, but you have to understand, and I think we're gonna connect on this, I'm only comfortable and at peace in the chaos. Yeah. When I get silence, I get sad, I get anxious. It's not interesting to me. So I think the key here is to just know yourself and not try to map to, oh, this person. One of the biggest reasons I go after Steve Jobs' legacy is because I want to build the biggest company in the world and I want to do it by being nice to my people. But all the kids in Silicon Valley, after Steve Jobs got so big, everybody heard how tough he was on people, so they were faking it. I had good people, good friends, who I knew very well, start being assholes at work, because they thought that's how you had to do it to be successful. Fuck that. I think you get much more out of honey than vinegar. Much more from people. So, you know, I'm comfortable doing it my way. I have no interest in imposing my way on you. I think it's important for you to see how I do it. The reason we started Daily Be The Vlog is when I was talking about hustling and working hard, people interpreted that differently. Now that they see it, they're like, fuck. You know, am I really, is that really me? Do I want it that bad? Like to achieve greatness, wow, it takes real work. You know, everybody, everybody's fascinated by luck or the big idea. It doesn't exist. 
You don't know a single person that's made it big unless they work their face off. You might know somebody who inherited a lot of money from mommy and daddy. They may be rich, but they didn't build it. Anybody you've ever met that built something, worked their fucking face off. You got it, yeah. <laughs> Questions? Let's go to this lovely lady. We'll get you back there next. Hi. Hi, Gary. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm Noriko. Uh, I'm Japanese living here in Belgium. I've been translating your videos. I'm very aware. It's good to see you. Thank, thank you for all your help. Thanks to your, no, it's really my pleasure. Thanks to your team. Excuse me, hold on one second. Is there any way she can hold it so she can get it closer? Is that all right with you? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, uh, thanks little to your closer. team. A little closer. Okay. All right. Thanks to your team. I could get in here. Yes. So you just talked about honey and vinegar. But I really can see you're not just talking, but you have wonderful people. Thank so you. that's really, I really want to say to everyone. Thank you. So my question is about negative comments. Negative on comments. Any platforms you yes. get. And you talk about this also on the videos, and I totally understand because I have thick skin, and I really, like in your term, I don't give a fuck. So I, really, <laughs> I really don't care. But I have, um, I help small business people, and when it comes to my clients, that's a different story because they, they get stuck, they, they got hurt, so they can't put enough content because they don't want to get it. So. Most people are not putting out work because yeah. they're scared of other people's feedback, mm -hmm. and the second they get negative feedback, they collapse yeah. and they go in a cocoon. So is there a way somehow that I can like, convince them to move on? Yes move and no, yeah. let me explain. Okay, thank you. The, this is a self-esteem game. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, there's no drug for self-esteem. People in here who were unfortunate and had parents or were hardwired in a way that lacked self-esteem, you're not gonna be able to fix that overnight. You can't just be a cheerleader. And you know, for two minutes they'll be like, yeah, and then you walk away and they're like, no. So there's, there's a couple things. First and foremost, negative comments. I really don't give a fuck either, however, I take every one of them seriously. I think the biggest thing that is missing in the world today, politically, globally, business, is empathy. We lack empathy in today's society at a level that is very intriguing. I'm trying to go backwards and figure out why over the last 30 years, 40 years, have we lost so much empathy or, or do we just not have it? Is that just a skill that humans have always underperformed in? Which is, by the way, something that I'm starting to realize looks like it's gonna be the case. But we lack empathy, so the biggest, when I get negative comments, the reason I like looking at them is I respect, back to making that joke of that lovely lady, they're the market. They think I'm full of shit. They think I'm too egotistical. They think I'm wrong. Like, I wanna understand why, and I wanna respect that they're coming with it. Most negative comments, especially because I have a lot of young dude fans, come at very harsh terminology. I don't respect the vulgar or the language or like, you know, but, but I do respect the energy. That's what I've done is I've done it up front. So before you even start with them, I'm very aggressive of like, this is gonna happen and really getting there and spending a lot of time in the beginning so that instead when it happens and they look at you and go, whoa, You've already had that talk. And, and I mean really have the talk. It's probably with small businesses what I spend 70% of my energy on in getting them mentally prepared for somebody saying your ice cream sucks. But they're used to it in America in some ways because of Yelp and they've been dealing with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what, I don't, what, what makes me so sad at the macro is those couple of negative comments compared to all the upside of producing content and being on the offense and being aggressive, the weight is, right? Yet, unfortunately, so many people are crippled by even one negative comment because of their own internal wiring. It's a challenge. What I would say is you need to be patient and you need to be understanding because you can't just instill self-esteem overnight. You got it, you're welcome. Questions? Hello. Hey. Um, I'm Bart. I practiced my uh, question so many times that I lost my voice, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, amazing. Um, first of all, I would like to thank you because um, 
I started my career as an entrepreneur by trying to build the next Facebook. But uh, thanks to um, your speeches on self-awareness, I, I came to realize that I lose sleep over borrowing 100, 100 euros from my brother. So, you know, I probably will never build the next Facebook, that, <laughs> having that in mind. So uh, a year ago, um, I started to uh, build a data migration company you know, organically, so um, I landed a big customer and now uh, I get paid every day and I'm developing my stuff. And we went live in production uh, in Chile uh, in December. And now this year for the same company, we will do USA, um, Mexico and Canada. So it's going really great. Um, but my question to you was, you, you talk a lot about patience, so, but you also talk sometimes about speed. And patience for me, that would be, you know, continue with the same, with the can one I, Can I answer you real fast and you'll understand it forever? Okay. Macro patience, micro speed. Yeah. Okay. That, okay. Let, yeah. And let me expand on it because that <laughs> didn't work. Fuck. No, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, back, back, back. Macro patience. You're a young man building something meaningful, a relationship, a business. It takes 10, 20, 30 years on your day to day work. You have to be fast uh, with the clients. They email you, you email them back. Like your day to day, but your vision, what you want to achieve in life, you're not going to build it in one year. And so many people have it reversed. In the day to day, they're slow. And in the macro, they want their business to be huge the next day. So you need to reverse it. So, so if you have to make the, the decision between, uh, in my case, building a better framework, or focusing on that, or trying to find more customers, what would you, what would you advise? Knowing that I don't need the money of yep. new customers right now. Both. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so, and so here's, another ver here's an answer of both. Number one, how hard are you working? I don't know. If you're working tw 12 hours a day, I feel like you could work 17 if you want, right? Number two, if you're working every hour and you can't work more, with the money that's coming in, too many young people and too many young businesses, when they start having money come in, take it for themselves. They wanna buy a good watch, they wanna buy a good car, they wanna buy fancier shoes. What I would do is, when my first money, so here's my story. This is not advice I'm giving just for fun, this is my life. I walked in my dad's store, it did $3 million a year, 10% gross profit, $300,000 in profit before expenses. We had no money. I was making $40,000 a year, 37.4 actually. And I built that business from three to 45 million in the first kind of four or five years. And five years later, five years later, this is doing $45 million in sales and I'm making $40,000. This is the advice I gave. And by the way, I was in my 20s and a guy. The exact time, if you're making that kind of money, that you want to use it to do guy things, right? I put it back into the business. I hired four more managers, six more managers, seven more managers. I did more advertising. I built a business. So if this money's coming from Chile and the U.S. and Mexico, hire people. Then okay. you can do both. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. Questions? Great, now they're coming. Okay, here we go up there. Um, Hello, I'm uh, David. My question uh, is a bit uh, in line with uh, the former uh, question. It's okay. about uh, building a business and uh, growing and having uh, and being scared about uh, growing the business. Okay. It would push me to uh, more be saving money than investing in, uh, in technology in the future. What would be uh, your advice? David, I want to make sure I understand. You're saying that you need to deploy capital. So here's my advice in investing. How old are you? I'm uh, 40. Four zero? Four zero, yeah. You look great. Tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. um, my answer in building a business, everybody's like turning back, how good does he look? <laughs> By the way, best part, this is the truth, I can't fucking see him. <laughs> you you, you uh, can have my, a photo with me. Uh, <laughs> we'll do it later. <laughs> David, my, my answer always is, always is, well here's the question, are you planning on this business still being your business five years from today? Yes. Okay, then I would invest every penny you can afford that doesn't put you personally in bankruptcy or out of business. Okay. Does that answer the question? Yes. Great. Thank you. If you were looking to sell the business in the next two or three years, then there's a debate. But if you put in the money now and you're gonna be in business in five years and assuming that you're right, you're gonna have a much better business. 
And so that's why it's the right bet. Uh, VaynerMedia. VaynerMedia, again, I always like when I can give you examples of what I'm doing, because it's not just me, oh, I made it, let me give advice. The last two years, I've run VaynerMedia as a CEO. Two years ago, the business did $67 million in revenue. It's an agency. Last year, it did 100 million. Both years, we made the same amount of money. The bottom line made the same amount of money. When you make $33 million more in revenue, and you make the same amount of money that you did the year before, you're doing two things, the two things I believe in. One, I'm investing in the business for real. Number two, I took a lot of risks, many of which will work, many of which won't. But it felt like the right year to take those risks because I was tasting that the business was gonna go from 67 to 100, so I knew that I had the economics to make those bets. So, you know, I think one of the things that makes me comfortable and one of the reasons I wanna remind people in this room especially in the advent of the new digital world where every 20-year-old thinks they're an expert. I spent 13 years building a business, 365 days a year, 15 hours a day, before I ever made a blog post, before I ever wrote a book, before I ever gave a speech. I take a lot of pride in the fact that I only give advice that I actually do myself. It's your job to interpret where you and I are different because my, everything I do won't necessarily work for you but the advice is me eating what I'm serving. Cool, let's keep it going. Let's get this guy right here. You guys, like they told you not to ask questions? <laughs> gotcha. What's up Gary? Hey man. Um, I hope you like that I vlogged this. Because I see I'm, it, uh, <laughs> do your thing. So my question is, uh, thank, for most, thank you for everything you're doing man, you, you changed my life. Um, and my question is that, um, do you know Patrick Bad David? Do I know what? Pat Patrick Bad David. He's also Pat like making videos on YouTube. I'm not sure. No, and sorry. One, of, one of his videos, he said, like, uh, I don't use business cards anymore. I only okay. use uh, LinkedIn. When okay. someone is coming to me, uh, I just gave them the LinkedIn. Okay. Is that good or not? Uh, because for now, I'm, I'm starting my business yeah. next week. And I'm deciding on if I want to use business cards or just if people ask my, my contact details, just I, give them the LinkedIn. I don't use business cards. Uh, and haven't for a long time, but not because, I, not because I think I'm fancy and easy to find on the internet or LinkedIn, it's because I take their phone and I email them. The amount of times I do business cards and nothing happens because we throw them out, we lose them, we don't care. So if I want to do business with somebody, I actually take their physical phone and have them email me or I email them on the spot or I text them on the spot. Again, Making 30 second videos for a Facebook world because that's how television was formatted is stupid. You have a business card because you want to do business with that person. To give a business card, you're physically in front of that person. I don't know if you know, but it's 2017. <laughs> this is called a cell phone. It is much smarter to create no vulnerability by making that transaction happening there. The end. Thank you so much. <laughs> and yeah, and let me tell you, I'm so glad you asked that because in a macro, I'm gonna use that analogy. I hope D-Rock caught it because I see him moving around. That was a very important moment. My friends, we lack common sense. We go through school and we get educated and it takes over the part of our brain that is left for common sense. What I just said is funny. Like some of you snicker, it's funny. It makes so much sense. We forget why we're doing things and so we get into the tactics, not the strategy. You have business cards to do fucking business. All of you have probably missed minimum 50% of your business card exchanges. We have this now. Use it. And that's the same thing for everything. What was the purpose of the video? Not to make a commercial to sell somebody on the emotion of the video so they buy it. So if you have to make that story in 48 seconds, make it in 48 seconds, not because 30 was the way we did it. Facebook's direct mail, you have their address. You actually know how old they are, what they care about, how many kids they have, when they got married. You know way more than the mailbox knows. What are you doing with your direct mail when you get home? Let me save you time. It's real. 
And by the way, again, history. History will always tell you the future. Go get educated on what happened in marketing and business in the late 40s to the early 50s in the US and Western Europe. You will see it. There was a major transition because people held on to the romance of radio and disrespected the emergence of television. Now we're doing that with the television instead of the cell phone and the networks that dominate the cell phone. Television, Facebook is the number one channel on this television. You need to become the number one show on that channel. There's a lot more shows and that comes down to content. Cool. Questions? Hello. Oh, how are you? My name is Henrik. Henrik, thank, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Gary. You're welcome. Uh, I have a question. Uh, Peter and uh, Stephen told us about uh, the day after tomorrow and tomorrow, artificial intelligence and things like that. AI. And AI. Love and, it. And it's something that like, big companies can buy. The advice. Do you guys, ha do you guys have Alexa voice? Do you guys have Alexa here yet? No. No, okay. not yet. You're gonna shit. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's that, great. Under. <laughs> It's okay. going to happen in the U.S. soon, too. Go ahead. So that's a question you're talking about, empathy and things like that. Yes. Uh, sometimes when we send an email, uh, send a message on Facebook to companies, I think the bots are in sleeping, and so we don't get uh, information back. Yes. Uh, so they are talking a lot of it uh, about it. What's your point of view on, on artificial intelligence and then the human thing about it? Uh, I think AI uh, is going to be enormous. It makes a lot of sense. Humans are, our brains are the best computers in the world for now. <laughs> and so we do too many things that we don't need to be doing. And for the last forever of human race, we chip away at the things we don't need to do. We got animals to do things that we didn't have to do. Like we got other people to do, we got machines. We are very smart. AI works because 1,400 people a month ask me which one of my four books they should read. I don't need to do that by hand a hundred times out of luck and serendipity and timing. I should answer that 1,400 times a month through my decision and then the AI bot will take care of it. There's a million things like that, right? When you, e let me go through it. When you email Wine Library and go, where the fuck's my wine? I have a human that goes and looks at where it is on FedEx and UPS and DHL. That doesn't need to happen. And we've seen that, automated emails. AI will be enormous, but all the magic looks like this. If the point is to go from here to here, if that's the point, how, where is my wine? How do I do this? What book? What service? If that's the point, AI at its height, in its prime, will look like this. AI, 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 AI and for the really good shit, human. We just need to get to 95% of it, get the human in the best position to create the context because our brain's better than the AI brain. For now, and on the most important stuff. There's plenty of things that can be AI, 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 AI to this. The companies and the humans that understand which ones need to be AI, 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 AI versus AI, 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 human will win. So I'm in the real estate agent, I'm a traditional real estate agent. Yep. So there is a future for the real estate agent. Humans will be fine until the robots kill us. <laughs> and what that means is, I'm not joking. By the way, there's gonna be two paths when this is all said and done. Immortality or robots took over completely. We'll probably not see it, but it's very basic chess if you actually understand what's happening in society. I prefer not to see it because for somebody that's not scared of anything, even that's pretty intense. I'll be really pissed if I just miss immortality by this much, <laughs> which is concerning me because I really don't want to die. But yes, I remember seven years ago when I would talk about what was happening, everybody got scared that journalists would die, right? Because everything, there was a lot of pressure against journalism. And I said, no, no, you don't understand. It's gonna be better than ever for journalists because there's gonna be more things to do. There's, you know, there's been plenty of things that have gone after real estate agents, you've heard it. Technology always says it's gonna take everything over. It's not because the human brain is still winning. But if things like IBM Watson and all the future stuff that's gonna happen and when AI and VR and, you know, we're just starting. You know, there's a lot more to go. And so, yeah, I'm, I, don't, I don't think, I never bet against innovation and technology. That being said, you know, you and I, will, you'll see your career through.
You have the same ID, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Good confirmation. Good. Awesome. Who do we got? Yep. Awesome. Hello, Gary. How are you? Fine, thanks. Good. Um, you told us that um, it's very important to, to sell anything by heart. Yeah, if it's your passion, it's easier, of course. And, and, and selling, your, selling something you believe in. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I, I couldn't be more passionate about something. Okay. Now, we, are, we have a startup, two guys, and we're in a short period, we, will, we, must hire, we must hire somebody. And, of course, we want to be sure that we hire some, some guy or some woman with the same passion. How, how can we be sure of that? By being more focusing on firing than hiring. Okay. Let me explain. I think I have the greatest intuition EQ I've ever seen. It's my biggest ego, it's all I've got. I know I'm not that smart, it's all been intuitive, and it's been very good to me. And I've hired a ton of assholes. And I really pride myself, I think I'm really good at it. All my investments have been amazing on intuition, friendships, like I'm good at it, and I still have missed. And so what I've learned in 20 years is it's not about the hiring because too many people here are fancy and think they're so good at hiring and then it takes them four months and they make a hire and still half the time it doesn't work out and it's just not smart. What's smart is go with your gut. Don't cripple yourself. Now, easy in the US, I know that in Europe there's different kinds of laws and there's more finances. I don't know how... I don't know what your current state is of like, fuck, like if you have to fire somebody, they get 17 years of fucking severance. But, you know... <laughs> You've got to work your economics, but what I would say is regardless of, of how painful it is on the firing, it is always firing versus hiring. You know, you've got to taste it. Okay. That's very important. That is where the businesses that have grown the best have won. So don't be afraid to fire the guy. Don't be afraid to fire? Yeah. Yeah, no, don't be afraid to fire. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> and, and by the way, by the way, there's nothing I hate more I wish, I wish my HR and CFO were here. I drag firing so long. I hate confrontation. I'm a good guy. I hate it. It's taken me 20 years to get better at it and I'm still not great at it. I still fire people three months, six months after I decide. Six months. Because I hate it. I feel bad. It's the worst part of running a business but it is essential. Because as you grow your company, and you get to seven and nine, 14, it's an important skill to have because here's the problem. When you don't fire losing players, winning players leave. It's a big deal. Okay. It's a big deal. Thank you. You got it. Let's make sure we get to this guy eventually. Oh, we can go now, awesome. That was good execution. Hey Gary, How are uh, you? my name is Brent and I fucking love your energy, seriously, <laughs> you're such an inspiration. Thank you. Keep man. it on, keep going, keep working, keep hustling. I will. And I'll always be watching. So Thank the you. question is, um, I founded a 3D animation and virtual reality company together with my co-founder. We're doing actually pretty good. Every time we get in front of people, they get excited on our energy and we get a human connection. Yes. Now, to get bigger assignments, to get to be able to hire developers, yes. people don't let us in. Like the bigger advertising agencies, if they don't see that you have 100 people, they're like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah. And in the same sense, we have a lot of creative energy, yes. and we, we want to put that out. In the same sense, let's say D-Rock wants to make his own feature film, yes. he needs a crew. Yes. He needs a crew, he needs somebody who holds the audio, he yes. needs somebody who holds the sound. Yes. What is your advice on creating more revenue without just asking money from people? Yeah. How do you get more sales when D-Rock can only produce so many videos a day? Well, D-Rock worked for free. Yeah. Did that. Well, that's your answer. Your energy that is a human connection, if your biggest vulnerability is you need money to get more people, get a bunch of people to work for free. I don't want to do that. Why? I don't want to take advantage of people. You're not. I worked in the game industry and people were working a thousand euro a day you're for confused. 18 hours. You're confused. If you're so great, you are not taking advantage of them. I can promise you, I did not take advantage of DRock. If you, we sure can. And, and, and the answer, you know what's better about that and that's a really good way to put it? What's really most interesting is the emails he gets and why he doesn't take those opportunities. Right? You know what's great about, what's great about the game? It's not the words. It's not him saying that with me here or not me here. It's the actions. It's the actions. If you think you're so good, you wouldn't be taking advantage of them. 
And if you don't want to take advantage of them because you've made the romantic point of view that that's not a good strategy, well then go make some money. Well, the, the make, I get it. I get it. I fucking get it. So the, the making money part, it's okay. But you I want... can't sell people that aren't willing to buy. Say it again? You can't sell somebody who's not willing to buy. If they're looking at you and saying, you don't have 100 people and you're too young, they're the market. They're not wrong. Yeah. You're wrong. Yeah, I get that. Okay. So what you're saying is... Well, I see what I'm two... saying is you need to realize that this is all practicality and not philosophical. I'm asking also as well for practical information. So I just gave practi- it to you. Yeah. Practically, so, yeah. you have two options. Yeah. Go make money yeah. and pay fucking DRock yeah. or go figure out that there's thousands of fucking people that just want to do the work because they're creative and it's better to do it for a leader that they believe in than fucking sitting on their ass in their basement. Thank you. Seriously. <laughs> there is no third move. You know, that's, like, that's the best part, right? Like, what's the third move? Hi. Hello. How are you? Very good, thank you. We have something in common, so I'm very happy today. I can sit still. I'm never quiet, so that's a bit difficult for colleagues <laughs> of mine. But um, you just said more firing than hiring. Yes. But you can't just fire somebody like that. But what do you do with your people to keep them motivated, keep them going, keep them happy? You got How it. do you do it? Great question. The thing we do that has worked unbelievably well is I massively overinvest in realizing that managing people is the same way that I think about marketing. You can't have one 30-second video that works for everybody. I have no idea what those three care about. Somebody might care about money. Somebody might care about work-life balance. Somebody might care about notoriety. Some might care about football as their passion and I get them tickets to the World Cup. I don't care what my 800 employees want in life, I just want to know what it is. And in, in, when you started in the beginning, did you, was you, were you surrounded by young people or? I, both. When I started the wine business, I was surrounded by older people and I was 22 and that was challenging because I had a breakthrough. When I started Vayner, I started it with young people. But it doesn't matter how old or young, uh, I hate when people are like, millennials love work life. I know tons of millennials that just want cash. You know, like everybody's different. When I started out, it was easy. There was only six people to know every single thing that they cared about in the world. Now it's hard. Now I've built a lot of infrastructure. Now I run a lot of big data to see what they're posting in social media to know what they care about in their lives. I'm obsessed with knowing what my 800 people want because then I can reverse engineer it because I work for them. The, the leadership is understanding that people don't work for you. Leadership is understanding that you work for them. And the best way to build a great company is retention, keeping people forever. My mission, my obsession, is that everybody that walks through VaynerMedia works for me for the rest of their lives. To be able to do that, I need to know what they care about at 24, what they care about at 29, what they care about at 35. Oh wait, they fell in love. Oh wait, their, their, their husband wants to move to LA. I have to be flexible, nimble, I have to pay attention. I have to be obsessed. I'm starting today. I'm going to be obsessed. Okay. How many people? Hold on to it. This is fun. How many people do you have? Um, my boss has a lot of people working for him. Yep. Uh, so you and your boss, and for him, yeah. this is, I'm telling you, this is an amazing way to build a great company. You have to take 15 and 20 minutes. You have to take a dinner. If somebody's very important, it's dinner once a quarter, twice a year. If it's somebody All right. new. What's that? <laughs> Got it. You can come with us. <laughs> but you know what I mean? That's the key. I mean, some of you that watch my vlog, you see five-minute meetings with every single person that comes in. It's five minutes. You can't accomplish that much, but it, here's, let me tell you why I do it. Some people try to razz me. They think I'm doing it for show. I'm not doing it for show. By sitting with you for five minutes, knowing your name, knowing where you're from, I remember a lot of stuff too. You know, knowing if you have a brother or sister or you like sports. When I go into the elevator with you, in three months and we go up together and we can have a three minute conversation, I'm chipping away. They're scared to talk to me. I'm the CEO and not only am I the CEO, I'm also internet famous and a CEO. So it's really hard for them to get comfortable and I need them to feel safe to tell me when something's wrong. That's the key. Because the cost of somebody leaving is so great, so great, much more expensive than the 15 to 19 hours that you deploy to stay close. 
and remembering that you need to give them more value than they're giving to you. I hate when leaders, founders, bosses expect people to work as hard as they do. If you want them to work as hard as you do, give them the same economics. My friends are always like, Gary, I can't get my people to work as hard as me. I'm like, how much do they own of the company? Nothing. I'm like, that's a starting point. (laughs) I don't expect anybody to work as hard as me. They need to care about themselves. They need to execute for what they're doing. And then people are motivated by very different things. I've, it's been so interesting to me. I'm using soccer slash your football because it's such a passion in this country. There's a kid that works for me who flat out told me that he was considering to leave because he got offered double, you know, Vayner's in a tough spot. We're so hot and we're so young and there's such big advertisers in the world that are trying to steal our people. He's like, somebody offered me double my salary. But three weeks earlier, because you knew I was a St. Louis baseball fan, you came to me and I was doing a good job and you gave me two tickets, randomly. Not his anniversary, not his birthday, randomly. He's like, that made me stay and now he's one of the most important people in our paid media team. Those tickets cost me $937. Okay, thank you. <laughs> What's that? He gave us Gary. So. <laughs> there you go, but that's, that's you know, it's amazing. But, but for other people, I've tried to do it and they're like, take your fucking trip to Florida back, give me $3,000, asshole. You know, like you have to know the person. Everybody has their own North Star. Okay. Thank you. Two more? <laughs> you know I love this. Hi, Gary. Hey. Um, my name is William. I'm working for a year now at a startup. We've gone from three to 15 uh, employees. In- five zero or one five? Sorry? 15, one five? 15, not 50. Let's hope we get there. Um, influencers. Yes. And I feel like I've heard this like five years ago, but then they were called evangelists. Okay. Where do you see the difference and how to go about really practical, how to go about in getting those on board in the company? Uh, I think we're talking about the same thing. The difference is five years ago they had blogs and they didn't reach anywhere close to as many people. Okay. Uh, I would go into Instagram mm-hmm. and Facebook fan pages right. and I would message them by hand. All right. Do you and have a Facebook account? I do. All right. I'll Slash ask in a Gary. <laughs> Um, but, but remember, when you approach slash Gary, mm-hmm. figure out what Gary cares about, not what you care about. All right. Market's always right. Thank you. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, the market is always right, man. I'm really glad you ended with that, bro, because if you actually internalize that, so much changes. Too much ego in the world. People think they're so smart. They latch on to things like, they latch on to the guy who created the Porsche or the guy that created the automobile legendary all-time billionaire visionaries, and they go, yeah, okay, but if Henry Ford listened to his customers, he would have made a faster horse. Cool, go be Henry Ford. You know, like, like, like back to my young man over here, like, there's four Facebooks, Facebook, Snapchat, like, like, like everybody's going and reverse engineering all-time, all-time stuff. We lack practicality. There's only two options. That's business. Not this bullshit that venture capital, do you know many, I mean, 98% of startups in America are losing money every month. Like, what do you think happens when the economy gets tighter? There's no next funding round. Some of the people in this room, we've seen it a couple times. Because people aren't smart. They don't realize when they're up here is exactly when they need to get practical and change everything and make sure they're not burning money, but making money. So when it goes this, then they pick up everything. I built two businesses, both during crashes. I came into Wine Library when the stock market crashed and 9-11 happened and all my customers lived in New York and New Jersey. Built a huge business. I started VaynerMedia in the financial crisis of 2008 and 9 in America. I'm a wartime general. That's a true entrepreneur. Not when idiots are giving you funding. How much talent does it take to lose money every month? I think we can all do it. Hi, Gary. I'm Sophie. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I was just wondering, how do you think the future of ad agencies looks like? Because here in Belgium, we still have uh, a lot of traditional agencies who are now trying to get digital part inside of them. Yeah. And we also have the younger agencies who are really digital, digital natives. Yes and who are really performance-based. Yes. But I feel that in those agencies, the really, 
the smart marketing uh, assets that we used uh, before. Like strategy and creative lacks, yeah. right? Same happened with my company. And the first ones, they have the, the real, the, the great creative directors and everything. Yep. And the smaller ones, the, the young ones, they don't. Yeah. But there is this mismatch. Correct. And as a client, you yeah. now need both of them. Yes. So how, does, how is this now in the States? The big ones are going to get disrupted. They're mm -hmm. gonna lay off people. Mm -hmm. The 230,000 euro creative director is gonna go work for the upstart that survived and make 130, then that one will have it, then they'll get big, and then Martin Sorrell will buy him. Okay, though. <laughs> All right, thank So you. what your job is as a client is to day trade attention, yep. right? Exactly. Like VaynerMedia was a steal for so many years, still. Creatively, every single one of my creative directors are from Crispin Porter, Wyden and Kennedy, Droga, right? but we're less priced than that. Mm -hmm. Yet, clients buy into the bullshit like a can lion or what ad age exactly. said. So they're stupid. No. And so, that's good. If they're stupid, they deserve to lose and if they're smart, they deserve to win. Okay. But that's what will happen because it's always happened. Okay, though. Right? right? And so the key is when can you find the upstart when it has enough scale and has the nuances of what you feel they're missing? Because you're right, when you have two, you know, they don't work together. No, they don't. Never. That's not, that's, you know, some things are great in theory. It's great on paper. Let's get an above the line traditional agency, a digital agency, a social agency, and they'll all work together. Great mm -hmm. on paper. Mm -hmm. You know what else is great on paper? Communism. <laughs> it's great. Like if you read it, it seems really good. It just doesn't match to the human spirit. You can't ask two companies who both want to build their business to play nice when they're both undermining each other to get more business. And that's why my companies really worked in the sandbox because I've taught all my people to just assume that's what everybody's doing. We're not mad when the agencies do that to us. That's what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. What I tell them to do, my people, even the most senior, is to eat shit. Be the bigger person. I'll take care of it up mm -hmm. here. Yep. And it's worked very well because the client can feel who is trying to make it work and who's not. Okay. All right. Thank cool. you. Cool. Yep. Couple more and then we'll go. Hello. Hello. I'm Jan. I just uh, would like to know what you would uh, consider personally your biggest business mistake you made in your career. That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I said this the other day to DRock. I'm like, I hate this question because I have no respect or time or energy for my failures. And so I don't think about them as much. I think, I mean, there's a lot. Look, I, I, my first book was called Crush It. And in the acknowledgments, if you go get it in the library right now, it, I thank my entire family and one random person. Travis, the founder and CEO of Uber. Travis came to me and wanted me to invest in Uber and I passed, twice. That $50,000 investment, because that was the size of what I was writing, would now be worth close to $400 million. That's a bad move. <laughs> um, nor, that's, so that's, that's not as valuable to everybody. I'll tell you what's valuable to everybody. Every time in my career that my eyes got big and I decided, so what I do very well, I referenced it the 167 million thing. I'm very good at making 80% of my business stable, tried and true, staying the course, continuing to do what I know will work, and then taking 20% of my money and energy and being very risky and trying to put myself out of business. Back to the agency question, what's the agency that's coming next that could hurt me? Is it a VR shop? I'm trying to put myself out of business. I'm very good at that, and that's why I build very big businesses. I'm not as profitable every year, but I get really big, got it? When I've taken that out of my control and have given money and some energy to other companies and put a founder and CEO in charge like I did after I left Wine Library and started VaynerMedia for a social network called Corked, which was a wine social network, for a company called Forest, which was a designer and developer social network, where I was the co-founder, but I really wasn't running the company. It was mainly I was giving money, we leveraged my name, I would check in once in a while. I've done very poorly. So, what I've learned is when I'm operating, and building scale around me, it's a very good strategy, financially worthwhile. When I've gotten big eyes and wanna do everything and support other entrepreneurs, in a world where I'm trying my best to vet them but they may be good or they may not be good, um, those have been some of the places where I've made a mistake. 
And I think, I'll be honest with you, I think my greatest mistake is still ahead of me um, because of the way I play. Where I will have a great mistake is that I hedge so much. I invest so much. I'm building so much for the future that I may not achieve my great ambitions because I left too many dollars along the way in a 30-year macro and at 70 or 75 or 80, when I realize, shit, I don't have a lot more time, it could get me into a place where I become cynical and, and bitter because I left so much, I did so much for everybody else. The 5149 that I give to everybody else hurt me in the end and so I could become this weird character that goes and lives in a cave out of anger in my old years and young entrepreneurs are gonna try to find me and shit like that. So that's how I think my story could end. And I, and I mean that. I think my greatest failure is, is at the end. My intuition is I'll convince myself that the journey and the legacy trumped whatever materialistic thing I wanted. I kind of already know that too. Yeah. Okay, one more and then we should get on schedule, right? Because I'm fucking it up. Yeah. Hi, Gary. Hello. It's uh, Sebastian. Hey, Sebastian. Hi. Um, yeah, we've, you've touched on influencer marketing briefly already. Yes. And um, I've dabbled in it a little bit so okay. far. Um, but the problem is that a lot of the clients, they actually, well, treat it as product placement or endorsements. Okay. Do you think it works in that respect? Well, I think that's what, it, that's what it looks like historically. Do you mean that they're forcing the influencer to do something yeah. very specifically? This is my product. Yeah. Put it in your Not hands smart. and put it on. Yeah, I think here. the only way to do influencer marketing is to give the product to the person and tell them to do whatever the fuck they want with it. The problem is the brands want to control the message and they may say that's off-brand. They don't understand it's very much <laughs> on-brand because the interpretation of that product to that audience where that person intuitively understands that audience is exactly what you want. Yeah, and how would you... Suggest I try by, to convey that not, to by, the clients. By not taking their money unless they do it your way. <laughs> Thanks, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it makes sense, it's the right answer. It's also very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the great things about being good at what you do is it allows you to say no. So I'm giving you advice that's right, but it might not be practical because that might be the only way you make money, but you need to fight for it harder than you're fighting for it. You have to be willing to lose the client. You'll be surprised, four out of every 10 times, the client will be even more excited because you know the client agency thing is hilarious. The clients want more strategy, but when the agencies bring the right strategy, they try to make it the wrong strategy. Like people hire us all the time, and then I'll sit in the first meeting and I'm like, you guys hired VaynerMedia, not JWT. The fuck are you trying to make us do that? You could have just go fucking hire publicists, you fucker. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.